The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating, but you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. I you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Don't you understand what I'm trying Happy to Saturday, say? Robert. Happy Saturday to you. It is a rainy Saturday here in Los Angeles, which is a rare occurrence. How's the weather in uh in Nebraska, where uh, you we're just we're getting some snow, some blowing snow. Nothing, not too much, but enough just to be annoying. I what is annoying snow where it's not accumulating and committing to it? It's just enough to bother you. For me, it's just anytime it snows. I'm. <laughs> You're not a snow guy. Nobody is after the first three. Yeah, um, and actually, right now it's not too bad. So it's just it's kind of it's that bitter cold uh, outside. Which, you know, oh, go ahead. I, I'm sure how that. I'm not, I don't know how that equates anymore to Californians, but <laughs> I, I never liked the snow when I lived on the East Coast. That would happen at the the late winter, or early spring, where it'd be like early April or late March, and like there's a snowstorm, and you're like, ah, I'm kind of not committed to the winter anymore. Yeah, <laughs> not moved on. Not committed. And I feel like they should reset the. I don't know what this does for the world, but they should. Reset the calendar, like for, fast forward or rewind everything three months, because I feel like the cycles are so bad. Like it's the hottest in California, September and October when it should be July and August. Yeah, and it's the coldest in like February and March when you would think it would be like really warm here in March. It's weird. Yeah, and I have been there a few times where it's rained quite a bit, and I even there's one time it even just kind of barely snowed, and there was kind of there's snow caps and on the mountains. Straight. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. It's majestic. It reminds me of the North Dakota scenes in Leprechaun. <laughs> it would be the North Dakota scenes in Leprechaun since there is no mountains. <laughs> I like the... Um, we're going to get into the stand tonight. You're listening yeah. to the podcast with Robert Patterson of Set Jetter. Visit his website at set-jetter.com and follow him uh, on Instagram at set underscore jetter for all of his amazing work that he always does. There's a new entry you posted last night. And this was Director's Cut. Yes. It's one of my favorite films. I saw it at the premiere at Slam Dance Film Festival. And have you seen it? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So Slam Dance is one of those festivals that you just never know what you're in for. And and this, this one was a real treat. Uh, it was just, I didn't know what to expect. And it was kind of a movie within a movie. And uh, I don't, it's probably about just best to kind of track it down and, and watch it for yourself. But... Uh, I got to meet Missy Pyle that night, so I was really excited about that. She's great. She's so funny, and she's a good actress. Yeah, no, and then uh, Penn and Teller were there. Um, and I think, actually, I think they just sat in the row behind us uh, at the screening, if I remember. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. It looks, you know, your entry of it was really great. It is, a uh, yeah, de- definitely an, an L.A. movie. Lynn Shay is in it, Harry Hamlin. Um, oh, the Clash of the Titan himself. Yeah, I got to meet him that night. I remember, so uh, my sister's a huge Lisa Renna fan, 
And so we thought for sure that she'd be there at Sundance because she loves the cameras. But uh, I think her, one of her parents had just passed away, so she did not. She was not at Sundance that year. My wife likes Lisa Renna. She'll be like, watch this YouTube video of her dancing for 30 minutes. And to Madonna. Age. She is entertaining. Her whole Instagram is just her dancing around the house. And it's like, good for you. You're living life. If I had I that body, I'd be showing it off too. So good Absolutely. For good for her. Uh, we're going to get into the stand tonight. There, uh, st- season one, uh, episode six, The Vigil, is it's finally happened, Robert. We were introduced in this series to Trash Can Man. And I, I think it was the opening shot, and I was like, oh, and for some reason, uh, it brought back, when I first read the book, I'm like, oh, this is exactly how I kind of pictured it to look. Kind of overcast skies and these kind of huge kind of silos. Um, that lasted about 10 seconds, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, right. But it, it worked. Looked the, it looked the way I thought it was supposed to. I agree. I, I feel like it looked the part. Was that supposed to be Gary, Indiana? Um, I don't remember if they... Where I don't they think they mentioned it. Yeah. But in the book, he ended up first destroying parts of Gary, Indiana. And we're going to get into the, the episode, but Trash Can Man, we've spoken on the show, I think every time we, we reviewed The Stand, like, where is he? Mm-hmm. And what were, what's your initial thoughts of his entry uh, in this? What do you make of um, the character? I guess I was a little concerned that he seemed, like, one, it was too fast, and, and any any backstory was, I guess, supposed to be taken care of in that kind of 10-second flash of voiceovers and his mother and and so forth, which wasn't quite enough for me. And then it seemed to be, obviously, in the, in the book, he's supposed to be kind of obviously mentally ill. Uh, but this one, he kind of seems to be mentally disabled instead to me, which is kind of a, a strange choice i assume that ezra made uh but i just you've, you've seen him do uh, many other roles i just felt like he could have done this so much better i agree he's a phenomenal actor and he's young too i think he's only like 28 or something like that uh, but yeah i completely agree with you i feel like when i was watching it the character development of him of the flashbacks of the abuse he took was boiled down and mashed together in a 10 second montage which was actually kind of confusing if you never read the book or seen the 94 miniseries you would think oh flag was just throwing these images in his head because it was with him and, and it i don't know i feel like they could have explored that more yeah. not even a lot more just a little bit more and um i agree with you uh, i always like the from the book read um, trash can man as more mentally ill and deranged than mentally challenged and uh, I, I felt like yeah they, they could have done less with him acting a little bit more mentally challenged because at that point it, it becomes more sad to me and you, you kind of feel sorry for him mm-hmm. than oh well he's just a sicko that likes to blow stuff up because it does take a lot of intelligence to rig explosives and detonation and time them uh, with by yourself with nobody else, that if you were just mentally challenged and you had these uh, kind of issues, they, they, they could have expanded yeah. more on that. Uh, he, he didn't yeah. know how to turn the knob on the, the fireplace flame. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. He must know fire. My life for you. <laughs> what was up with his clothes? He was like nude with just like 
a strap around him. I kind of thought, <laughs> I don't know Ezra that much, but I thought he probably would rather, he'd probably want to do this completely nude is probably his, his vision. And this is the CBS version of, of completely nude. Yeah, that's probably it. Because he started uh, getting really touchy-feely with Flag. And I felt like Ezra would have wanted to do more with that scene. Yeah. so Because so, he likes uh, to push the envelope. Yeah. And, and Ezra, it's one of those I also think, I'm like, oh, they could only afford him for two days. So that this is, we're not going to get too much. That's, I think you're right. Yeah, because he's, he's in all the superhero movies. He's yeah. the Flash. Like, he's in demand. So, and maybe he's wearing a little bit of a Road Warrior uh, apoc- apocalyptic uh, Ooh, Mad Max type of... That could be it, because it is Mad Max-esque. Mm-hmm. What if Mel Gibson was the trash can, man? And well, he, well, my, my life for you. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Mother A in the woods, she, in the last episode, she left. They found the note. This episode, there was a lot of complaining going on at Mother A's house of people resting their eyeballs. Yeah. And she went into the woods, and there was a showdown with her and Flag, where she's quoting the Bible, saying, get behind me, Satan. And it's a good versus evil, and he kind of moves his nostril, and there's like this gust of wind. What, what do you make of that whole story, that plot line? Well, a couple things. One, I felt like she was only just 50 yards away from the house at any one point. Yeah, why were they... Uh, I felt like that wasn't a long walk. I, I, it didn't feel like it to me. But um, I had a <laughs> Superman 2 flashback when, when Flag turns and kind of blows. And yeah. you remember <laughs> Superman 2, the three, Nan and uh, Zod and Ursa, blow the people down the street. I'm like, oh. And, and part of me was like, I get it. I mean, they can only do so much or whatever, but it just seemed kind of, just kind of breezy. <laughs> it was a little breezy. Richard Donder was in the shadows. Yeah, nothing, nothing too much to, to kind of worry about. But I was just kind of like, ah, oh, what? I don't know. That's what were all they, they doing. Could. Why was Joe out there looking? I get it. She mentioned um, that it, the the scene with Flag. She was like, "There's nowhere I can go. You can put me that he can't find me." And then Joe heard that because he's some kind of oracle or or something. Or has and, shining. Right, he has the shining. <laughs> He's Danny Torrance, and he found her. Um, where they never showed her in this episode after he screamed. They didn't even show her then. Am I right? I don't think so. I th- well, they found her obviously because they 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 go over the talkies, and so I'm not sure. And yeah, she's okay. They said over yeah, the talkies. Yeah, I don't think they really kind of show her again. I think they would have said something. So Joe has quite the high pitched scream. He was he's vying for Reggie the Reckless's uh, scream. <laughs> there that was very high pitched and elongated very he had quite a set of pipes for a child it's almost like it wasn't real yeah so he kinda, uh <laughs> what's that i kind of like joe this episode one because he talked you know he talked about uh, yeah uh, the the mommy nadine and the real nadine and uh i, I was i was curious i was trying to figure out why they chose time bandits to watch um I was going to ask you what movie that was, because it was such a weird movie for kids. Time Bandits, yeah. So, Which is kind of about evil overtaking Earth, so maybe they're just kind of like that. But um, Maybe Shrek 2 would have been more appropriate. Yeah. But, uh, time Bandits? Because I, I figured you would know what that is. Yeah time, we knew, yeah, time Bandits. And I saw it when I was 11 or whenever that came out. So, uh, Shelley Duvall's in it. Another kind of Stephen King 
most famous for her role as Olive Oil and Popeye, of course. Yes. And speaking of Shelley Duvall, uh, Franny was kind of having some Shelley Duvall moments, flipping through the papers, uh, through Harold's oh. manifesto. What was going on there? That was, yeah, that was very reminiscent to The Shining. I kept looking. I probably somewhere probably in there. There, there is a uh, no work and all play makes Harold a, a dull boy. It, there was tons. Of, yeah, that's what you wanted yeah. to see. That was definitely a nod. I am shocked that uh, he didn't try to hurt her, um, but I guess he loves her. So he, in his sick mind, he's going to reset the clocks mm-hmm. and they can finally be together. Uh, I did think when Franny. Um, was locked up in the basement, and she broke the glass to get out. There was a little shard of glass still sticking up here. I thought they were going to do something with her stomach because she's pregnant. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's that's too easy right there. And they did it, so it was just coincidence. Yeah, so, yeah, I kind of worried about, yeah, you worried about that too. I don't know if the older I get, the more I worry about glass and... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's I'm like, afraid oh, of glass. That's, that's too much, so... It's too much. Um, I, I do like that the bomb, they moved the bomb to Mother A's house, which I thought that, that's kind of a different, that kind of worked because that's where everybody would be or would be kind of congregating. Um, I don't know who put it in the piano, though. I remember her dropping off the poster. Uh, it was, she had it in the poster cylinder, and she just very blatantly like, let me just set this here. <laughs> yeah, they never explained how it got rigged up in the piano. Yeah. Did, um, did Nick Andros feel the bomb ticking is that what it was or was that more of a sixth sense that he knew something was there i think the the thing there wasn't i think a scene not this past episode but the the it was up the 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 front of the piano was up and it was down this time because that's where the bomb was at or something like that so i thought he noticed that but you're right robert because mother ray lifted up so the kids could see the keys being punched um, which didn't make sense at the time, and now it makes sense only for it because it's in the script. Would we be doing that? Right. But, <laughs> that's all, that's it. Yeah. Who did set that bomb up though? That was I felt like there were people there all day. That's well, yeah, and I, it was weird when Nadine dropped it off because if I was people are like, "What's that?" You know, like, <laughs> yeah, what is that big poster there? <laughs> and if it's and a why bomb, put it right there next to the door? I feel like. That's very easy for someone to look at it and do it. Yeah, or probably just like open it up, or as people are kind of coming and going. Um, so yeah. maybe, maybe she did at one point, or maybe Harold came in and did it. Or and that's why like, sometimes I'm, I'll be watching. I'm like, did I miss a scene? Did I miss something? But yes, I feel that same way. I watched the episode twice because I always I felt like I missed something. Like I gave it a rewatch the next day, and I was like, no, I, it, it's all there. Yeah. I felt that way more with episode five. I watched that like three times. I was like, I just there was stuff not matching up. Maybe maybe they put maybe they edited it in the wrong order or something. Yeah. Um, the the, but, the the bomb though uh, at Mother Ray's house. Where was it in the novel? Was it at Stu's house? It was somebody's house, and that's because they had a council meeting. Remember, they were the council members, right? And so it was uh, one of their houses, um, and. Um, it, it was much. It was done much better in the um, in the original miniseries because uh, Nick Andros was running to find it. They knew there was a bomb, and he was looking for it. And it resonated a little bit more because uh, Harold is talking, kind of like he does here, but Nick can't hear it, so he has no idea what 
anything right. is, is even being said and, and they kind of kind of version to that a little bit here but um but pretty much oh. it was a good explosion i, I people flying um they spent some I, money there i thought it was great and i uh i mean effects wise and i thought the build-up the tension was amazing where nick is looking down and you just see the red light go on that's that you know it's activated and then harold pulls it and you see it in the distance like I, I thought they did a really good job with the effects and like yeah. the tension the build-up that was I think this was one of the better episodes, if not my favorite so far, as far as showing as many characters as possible in different locations. They're not doing flashbacks anymore. Really. Yeah. No, I don't think so at all. No. Which is great. Um, you mentioned you, you uh, wrote down in our thread Nadine. You still think she has the best arc? I think she does. I like that she was kind of a... I kind of questioned, because she seemed to be wavering back and forth. She came to visit Larry, and then um, she took off, and she took the batteries out uh, of his walkie-talkie, and then obviously messed with his cycle and stuff like that. I, I don't know if she was doing it so he wouldn't go to the house and get blown up, yeah. or if she was doing it just so she could get away. I wonder about that, because it's foreshadowed in the scene that she's starting to kind of regret what she's doing, but she's still committed because she's talking about like, oh, why would the kids go there? They've been through so much. The the vigils before they died, before everybody died, like that, that scarred them. And Larry, she kind of like was flip-flopping a little bit in his house. Yeah. Uh, you know, but she was committed to the cause. She's an evil bitch. <laughs> I agree though. I think she has the best arc still and she's the most complex She's yeah. the most conflicted. She's not absolute on other side. She's kind of could go either way, it looks like. But yeah, she still like owns it. Compared to like Franny and Stu, they're just kind of the goody goodies of the of the show. Yeah. Because if, if if the stand never happened, if the plague never happened and it was still Nadine, she would probably be a head case at that point. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? She'd probably yeah. be like on drugs and all kinds of like antipsychotics. She would probably be a mess. But but because of, of this, these circumstances, she's like true and yeah. conflicted. That, so far, she's the standout for me, which I was not expecting or wanting. Yeah. She's good with Joe, too. Um, he trusts... I still don't understand that whole thing, but it works. He trusts her, but he doesn't. He, he, like he mentioned to Larry, there's good Nadine and Mommy Nadine and... And, and just Nadine. <laughs> and what? I think it's just Nadine and Mommy Nadine. And Mommy Nadine. Yeah. Nadine. Right. Uh, so he knows that something's going on, but he's a very interesting character, Joe, because yeah. there's obviously more there than you're seeing. Yeah, so I like him, and that—that's probably the one flashback I wouldn't mind seeing, like how she and Joe actually met. Uh, Could have been something. I think it would be great to like show more of that. I still wish they showed more of the opening, the the first act, like yeah. more of the characters build up. Not even so much flashbacks, but just. I felt like that could have been two full episodes where at the end of the second one, I mean, it was two episodes, but it could have been more, it could, it could have been all just the build-up, not them currently at Hemingford Home. And then end of episode two is when like they reach Hemingford Home and then they take it from there. Because like we've talked about before, they have the time to do that. Yeah, oh, and I think, yeah, that's where they kind of dropped the ball. and And that was everybody's kind of favorite part of the novel too, I think. It was mine, for sure. Yeah, like the plague and the whole build-up. You're being put in all these different backgrounds and watching society collapse and 
you, you get a good feel for the character. Where it just didn't work, the jumping back and forth. Um, we, uh, Clifton Collins, the great Clifton Collins, great actor, played uh, Bobby Terry in this, who yes. screwed up by killing the judge. <laughs> Which it's we also, a wash! Yeah, we didn't see that either. Uh, but... <laughs> Now, why did that? Why did that happen? That's that's something I thought I missed a scene of. I was like, did I? What happened? Same thing. We kind of have a build up where we see her in in the motel, and probably like, why would you stay at the motel? I mean, maybe they were still open. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I was like, well, I guess she's gone. Um, but what happened? I don't know. And I so when I saw Clifton, I was like, oh, he would have made a better Lloyd to me. Yes, he would. He, I agree. He kind of owns that authorita- authoritative character, yeah. and is can still play a really good crazy guy. Yeah, I don't. I don't like Lloyd in this. Uh, he's a great actor. I just, I don't buy it. He seems more like a party boy than 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 he does in the novel, where he's like trying to show some kind of leadership. Yeah, and he can't. I don't understand how he, Clifton Collins, I can buy as Flag's right hand man. Because I'm like, oh, he has, yes. he can do that. Um, Lloyd just kind of seems to to mess up, and yeah, he just wants to get drunk. Yeah, kind of a dumb and dumber version of Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> he's jealous too of the tra- of trash. Uh, I do like that they show Flag how he takes these forms as the crow. He's basically in his hotel room levitating and takes these other beings. Like they didn't really show that a lot in the 94 miniseries. They just kind of showed Flag showing up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is, was he there? Is he not there? <laughs> What's that? My, my, my favorite uh, line from him in this episode, uh, probably because uh, the way you know he screams, you screwed it up. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think is perfect for just the whole miniseries. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, you screwed it up. Bobby Tanny! You screwed it up. Uh, it's great because you don't know if he's joking or not. You're like, this is hilarious. Um, and as we talked about before we got on, the you know he he ruins his bedroom, his sweet doors for for no reason. Yeah, why does he do that? You have these, you have this perfect suite, and Bobby Terry tries to chain it up. You can get out of that other ways, and by using your telekinesis, and he just destroys his doors. Does that get fixed? Does I'm sure. Suppose, do you go to another room? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Lloyd probably has to fix it somehow, and uh, <laughs> right, Lloyd, make it work. And so they have a kind of a knockdown, drag out, kind of a fight, I guess, in the elevator. Which I'm not sure what, I'm not sure why there was such a fight, you know, because the flag doesn't really have to do too much. Um, but everybody on the the floor was kind of appalled, and but I'm like, aren't they just watching the same stuff in the pit? Like, yes, beheaded and stuff like that. And so I'm not quite sure where everybody's kind of aghast. Maybe because Flag is doing it. I don't know. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, they know Flag's evil. And like you said, they're watching these gladiating events where people are being ripped in two, beheaded every night and cheering and loving it. And and then all of a sudden you see these people. They're like, oh, my gosh, what is that? It's like, (laughs) isn't this like, shouldn't you be cheering right now? Like, I felt like if they were cheering, you would get it. Yeah, but they were like shocked. Even the the character we're going to talk about in a second was like, uh, "I'll fix this right away." Uh, she was very shocked. Like, get this guy up here. It's like this is all you do is clean up blood and dead people. Yeah, we we saw that. We we've, we've been seeing that for 
a couple of weeks of of how many dead bodies through the kind of the gladiator style yeah. uh, arena they have, and that side so I, so I thought, well, maybe, and that same thing. I thought, did I miss something else? Is there a reason that? I don't know. I don't know what happened. I do think you should get one of those smiley face pins. Don't wear it at work on your suits. A little smiley face, and but make it change. So they're like, did that change? Depending where, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I was very shocked at, or or just taken aback by uh, how shocked people were at flat. It's like that's all you know. But uh, in the book, I remember they talked about something to do with teeth. Like there was something to do with teeth and the way they he flag tortured him, and I felt like this was worse because they he obviously removed his removed his teeth and his nose and his eyes and all that and basically his guts were hanging out it was really graphic and it for me it was like the moment in this series that flag really showed how scary he could be because before he was scary but he was kind of just showing up yeah and changing the color of his eyes now it's like oh no he's a true demon he he ripped this guy's heart out so yeah and i think is that what he was holding i think yeah, was, yeah, I think it was his heart. And, Where can uh, I find this moon man? <laughs> oh yeah, so Fiona Dorif kind of <laughs> let the cat out of the bag. Yes, she's a good character in this. So she she might have made a better Julie as well, because she's kind of rascally. Like I could see Shawnee that. Smith. Yeah, she but, could uh, be the Shawnee yeah. Smith in this one. Julie is her name. Julie, I think. Yeah, I think it's the character's name. She's annoying. She's just so like, she's just such a party girl, but, but just dumb, you know. Like Shorty Smith owned it to where, she had thoughts and like, she 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 owned her character. This one's just like, she she's like she she's using Lloyd obviously. She does. I don't know. She's just annoying. I yeah. just don't like her. I did like Tom Cullen hiding with the bodies because I think, that that kind of worked for me, and that's how he, he had to get out. Yeah, and I gotta give him credit that that character for um, a disabled, a developmentally disabled man uh, who can't read. He is very clutch at staying alive. He stayed alive before they found him. He took the know-how to hide within the bodies and get away. Like he's, I'm liking him more and more. And I will always like. <laughs> when it was Tom Cullen, I'm. Yep. <laughs> I just like him. I don't like him as much as the guy at '94 from Coach, but he's he's good and. Yeah, that scene with the bodies worked. I wanted to see more of that about how, like, how he escaped out of there. They'll probably just move on. Like next time you'll see him, he'll just be walking into Boulder, and they'll be like, "Oh, I guess." I guess he got out. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that was that was scary though when he was down there and they were coming for him. I was like, "Good for you," because I wasn't ready to see like a showdown. Because he 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 doesn't die there, but it, it would have been like too much to yeah. see that. I was glad that he. Good prevailed in that situation. Uh, but that felt like a real Stephen King moment to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I'm excited for the next... Uh, there's only three left. Three episodes left. I think so. I think there's nine. Is there nine total? I, I've seen nine and I've seen ten, so I'm not sure what... Oh, I hope it's ten. Actual. So where do they go from here? It's going to be Trash getting the nuke, and then they're going to have to send in... Stu and everybody to Vegas. It's going to be Lauder's going to have to, yeah, do his thing and disappear, and then they're going to have to. Mother Ray's going to have to have them make their stand, right? 
yeah, Nadine's gonna have to show up, and it's but yeah, so it's it's one of those like uh, when when you're watching, I do this more when I'm watching a movie, like for the first time in the theater, and at a certain point, I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna get this on Blu-ray, I think, and then sometimes you'll be like, yeah, I'm this is a non-Blu-ray buy, you know, right, right, yeah, <laughs> you do it. You change the course on that. Yeah. Yeah, we're this, not going to do this. This is a non-Blu-ray buy for me. Yeah, I don't think I'll... I'll probably watch this again at some point in my life, but not anytime soon after it's over. Yeah, a couple of years from now, you'll be like, well, maybe it was better than we thought. And then we'll watch it and we're like, eh. Yeah. yeah. This would have been actually a series that I would like to binge watch it and get it out of the way in like three days, four days, or whatever, maybe a day, and then be done with it but yeah. it's like a commitment every week <laughs> and we have I mean, to now i just i i mean yeah and I, and I enjoy it i'll see it through but uh i i, I think i I, le- I walk away disappointed each week like i wanted more some episodes are better than others mm-hmm. and i care for some of the characters more than others but i i just feel like it doesn't hold up to the 94 as far as story and plot and everything and acting and sequence Yes. Well, we'll wait and see next week to see if we uh, have a big, get closer to the big bang of a finish or however, kind of a new ending or a new, I don't know if it's a new ending or just kind of a new uh, coda. At, yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really curious to see how they play it out though. So that's the stand, everybody. Check it out on CBS All Access. Uh, we're, we're not really selling it to people to watch it. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're not endorsing it at all. In fact, Probably don't want to watch it, to be honest. Read we're the book instead. Care of that for you. Yeah, we're doing it for you. Read the book instead. It's really good. But uh, that's the stand. So what else we got on the docket tonight, my friend? We have uh, we have some juicy, juicy topics. I, think I believe. Wait, What's ahead. that? Another uh, do they hold up? Do they still hold up? Yeah, we mentioned on the last show we we did a segment. Do they do they still hold up? We we. Reviewed the top three uh, highest grossing films of 1981. 80. We did 80 last week, yeah. We did 80 last week. This week, we're going to go over, oh, that's right, top movies of 1981 and see if they still hold up. And then we're going to kind of pick apart other good mentions uh, from this year. And these are, that will include the top 30 highest grossing films of the year. So uh, the top grossing film of 1981 is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think it holds up, uh, personally, 100%. I actually feel like Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my perfect movies. It has all the elements of a good film. It has action adventure. It has horror. It has a romantic interest. It has comedy. It has really good acting. Uh, The explosions are real. The special effects are all real. They used real stuntmen. This is all pre-CGI. And you have Steven Spielberg at the helm directing Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. And I, I feel like this is the best one of the Indiana Jones franchise. So to me, Raiders holds up forever. You don't think the Crystal Skull is the best? <laughs> well, Shia LaBeouf <laughs> really was. Hey, don't uh, you think they made a... Pro- don't you think they did that? Um, that was a problem. That, well, that movie was a problem. But Shia LaBeouf was like the it boy at the time. Because he was off of like Transformers and he was doing all these movies, they just kind of threw him in there because maybe he would be the next Indiana Jones. But yeah. that movie doesn't age well. No, and it, he has good comedic timing, 
And I think it could yeah. have been maybe in a better, obviously a better script uh, it, it would have worked. The aliens didn't work. But, yeah, there's a lot that didn't work. But so yeah, Raiders Lost Ark. I mean, I vividly remember seeing this in the theater. I think opening weekend. Ooh, that's a treat. And, uh, I think it was one of those where <laughs> I get dropped off, and I, I remember I think we did three movies that day. I think we went to to Raiders Lost Ark, Arthur, and the Great Muppet Caper. You know, and we just spent the day at the movies. And but I remember Raiders just blowing me away. Like, and I remember coming home just saying, "This is the best movie ever. We have to go see it again." Um, How old were you? 11. That's amazing to see Raiders at 11 years old theatrically for the first oh, time. Nothing nothing like it. So. Yeah. Um, this was yeah. after this is before ET. It was before ET. Yeah. ET I think it was the next year. Yep. Okay. Did you you saw that in the theater I assume? Yes. Oh yes. So. That's amazing. Uh so Raiders holds up for you. Of course it does. Yeah. I can't I can't imagine who it would not hold up for. And just the little like idiosyncrasies that aren't even the nuances that aren't even that important in the story you know harrison ford's little remarks like calls himself beloche belloc it's belloc because <laughs> on a script it looks like beloche yeah you know and, you want to be god let's meet him together and he's just you just love him he's just great yeah and the whole and it's scary too i mean the scene where they open up the ark gory is, and yeah yeah and uh the whole thing i think is it's perfect Superman 2 is that's the second highest grossing film of 1981. Yes. So, what do you think about Superman? Did um, Donner direct Superman 2? He directed under half of it at this version. So, right. um, so obviously, pretty well known that he had directed a good chunk of Superman 2 and then was uh, needed to finish up Superman 1 uh, before they finished filming and then was probably fired. Um, and then uh, Richard Lester came in to direct. The rest of Superman 2 plus redo some scenes so he could have over 51% directed by him and get the credit. That's what it was for, right? Yeah. And uh, so I was a huge Superman and Superman 2 fan uh, as well. And um, yeah, the whole... It, it doesn't... Like the Paris scenes and, and everything. And I love the three uh, the Phantom Zone criminals and Zod and Ursa. Um yeah, so at the time, yeah, that was like, I just love that movie. Uh, does it hold up as well as it did? Not quite, but I still like it. I agree. Yeah, I think they, uh, I, I also wonder too if people, have they saw them for the first time today, if they could still appreciate. I'm not talking about people that are non-Superman fans. I'm just talking about people that like the new superhero films and they watch this for the first time because they, they have. To see what like they think of it, because I wonder if they can take into effect like it was the time. The effects aren't as good, but they're still great stories. You know, right. you'll believe a man can fly, Robert. I did. I did believe it. I I, I don't think it holds up as far as uh, obviously the technology they have today, but it, it's still an enjoyable movie. So maybe that is holding up. It's still yeah. So and I I still have my Superman two trading cards and oh that's cool fun stuff, but it has a great memorabilia. And Otis and Lex Luthor. Yeah. I think we all agree Superman 3 didn't hold up upon its release date. No, and I saw that, so I'd been 13 when Superman 3 came out. And I even I was I was young, but even then I was like, this isn't right. <laughs> Why is Richard Pryor in this? <laughs> Who Superman knows? Superman is still the coolest though. I still love Superman one and Batman returns. 
with Michael Keaton. They're like my top yes. two favorite superhero films, or Marvel, the whole universe. Uh, DC, I mean, they're uh, they're just they're classic. Yeah, no, I agree. There's nothing cooler than Christopher Reeves and Reeven is uh, in in the flying in the first one with the Superman uniform on and making his little. I mean, his hair is perfect. He's making all these like great. He's just he's a flawless. He's a Superman, and uh, it holds up. It's awesome. I think yeah. it looks so cool. You bought it. That kind of swoop across that first flight. Oh, it's still it's amazing. Works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always thought it was funny, the kid, remember when he's like j- hanging off the rails of Niagara Falls? Yeah. <laughs> what parent is letting that happen? Like, he's on over the side of the rails doing that. Thank God Superman was there, but it's like, what kid even does that? <laughs> like, what kid wants to die? You're scared to death of that as a kid. It, it would have to take a psychologically screwed up individual to go over the rails to do that. It's the eighties. This is what kids did. This is This is what they did. They wanted to kill themselves. <laughs> Arthur um is number three on the list. Yes. I still think this holds up. Just Dudley Moore is uh is a was a comedic genius and uh the humor uh there are some things in there they would obviously not do today, but overall I still believe Arthur is a classic and the jokes do hold up in that film. So admittedly, I have not seen this in a long time. And, and like I just, I forgot, like I just said, I, I realized I saw it the, f- the same day as Raiders of the Lost Ark. So You saw them both in the theater on the same day? Same day, yeah. Cinema wow, that's a great day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I remember laughing at the jokes. And I, of course, I was young enough that some of the jokes went right over my head. Um, and, I, and you don't quite understand what being a drunk was, and then and the movie made, I guess, being a drunk funny. I mean, that was... There's nothing funny about drinking and driving, though, kids. Yeah. <laughs> In 1981, it was hilarious. It was it was hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you you saw that, you, but you've seen it since the, the... You saw it in the theater? Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and of course I probably saw it on cable since then, but I don't think I've... I, It'd probably be a couple decades since I've even kind of caught it. I'm, it doesn't seem to be going through that. You don't just see that on on cable. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen. They, they did a remake of Arthur, which was pretty they bad. Did I don't think I saw that, and I might have seen Arthur Two on the Rocks, but I've seen Arthur Two on the Rocks. It wasn't in the same universe uh, or, or the same level yeah. as as the first one. It was. It was kind of a cash grab that was put together pretty quickly, and the, and the remake with uh, what's his name Russell Brand, mm-hmm. he's funny, but it's it falls flat. Uh, I, I, the original is just a classic. It it, it it does make you wonder why they remade it because people aren't clamoring for an Arthur remake. <laughs> no, it's an interesting choice, and you could actually bring up Arthur to a lot of people; they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Uh, Cannonball Run, Robert. This uh, is it. This is the one with Sinatra. It has like a cameo in there. He might. I don't know. So it, what is it? Burt Reynolds and Don Bellamy's yeah. and yeah, a cast of hundreds. Uh. A cast of hundreds. <laughs> I've only seen this once. I I'd be due for a, a rewatch. I don't remember it that well. I don't remember it too much. Uh, uh, Adrian Barbeau. I of course yeah that she's in this. Um, You're right. But, yeah, it, this, it was kind of perfect. Obviously, this is an 81 film, but that was kind of of that era where they just 
get all the stars together. Uh, <laughs> everybody do their scenes for a couple of days. All the driving, of course, is done by uh, professionals. So there really wasn't too much to, to do. <laughs> Just throw them together in a room. Let's, let's go on vacation. This is it. There wasn't a lot to do. Yeah, I think the best part of these movies were at the credits because that's when they showed all the bloopers. Um, yes, I love they might that not too. Be as funny because it's now it's just people laughing they at themselves uh, for minutes at a time, and maybe it's not as funny as it used to be. Yeah, no, the bloopers are great, and the bloopers are great with uh, Burt Reynolds because he kind of tries to stay serious if he if it's his mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, like you ever watch the bloopers and um, uh, we just talked about it, Smokey the Bandit. Yeah, he's like, no, it's okay. It's good stuff. Keep going. Keep going. This is good stuff. And it's like, no, it's not. No, no, it's not good stuff. <laughs> you can listen to your director. They had a different version of what good stuff was back then. <laughs> this is good stuff. I like it. Sally feels like I can't believe I'm doing this. This is what. We're, but do you, do you think it holds up the film? I would think not. No. No. I'm gonna say no. Uh, for your eyes only, as uh, as a James Bond fan. I can be critical. Uh, the film is enjoyable to me. I, it, it doesn't hold up, though. It's a little too... It's like I, I'm not a big fan of 80s Bond movies. Um, some of them are okay, or better than others, obviously. Like Living Daylights, I think, is better. But mm-hmm. for your eyes only, I, I feel like this is one of the less memorable Bond films for me, personally. Kind of dishwatery. You know, like it was fine. Nothing special. Yeah. And I think... So James Bond, sometimes they when they kind of... Like this one kind of was struck in the middle, which was just kind of like not too exciting. And then they hit a certain level where they have, sometimes they just need about three or four kind of tentpole scenes that make the movie. And you're like, oh, you know, even though the in-betweens is kind of not that good. And then sometimes they go way overboard um, and uh, <laughs> to a little too ludicrous. And you remember those for kind of a different way. But, but Bond's a tricky thing. It is a tricky thing. And even a bad Bond movie is still like a pretty good film because it's it's James Bond. He always buttons everything up, and they do play on the cliches. Um, was this the last one that Roger Moore was in? No, so I think View to a Kill was because I think he did this, then Octopussy, then View to a Kill. View to a Kill is with Christopher Walken, right? Yes, Max Zorin. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, so I, I like that one. That one usually gets a little too, it goes a little too far. It's kind of a little, a little too campy, but the yeah. humor works. And I think that's what, that makes the, for your eyes only, I can't think of any humorous scenes. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was always a big part of Bond, was like a yeah. little humor in the, 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 the punchlines, the one-liners yeah. that he would deliver. The kind of chuckles, but yeah. So for your eyes only kind of did not have that. Uh, had a hit song, of course, but. Right, of course. I always like the Bond theme songs, even the ones from like Pierce Brosnan. They're still like fun, you know, because you remember seeing that movie and you're like, "Oh, this is like a new Bond. It's cool." Like you too wrote Goldeneye and Tina Ten- Turner it sang it. Like it's right. still a great song. Yeah. Uh, Fox and the Hound, Disney classic, one of the few Disney films from ni- from the 1980s. Um, I think it does hold up, in I, my opinion. I, I've not revisited this, so I remember, I saw this in the theater. I think I saw most of these in the theater. Um, so I remember seeing the theater. I remember being sad at the end, but uh, that's about it. Yeah, I, I mean, it got really great reviews, and they called it classic Disney at the time, a lot of critics, and some people think it rivaled 
some of the earlier works. Um, they take some cues from Bambi with like two friends coming of age in the forest kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's tough to. I think it's tough to really not like a, a Disney classic. You know, one of the animated ones. They're they're all done well. It's and they're cute when they they. It's kind of yeah. They do kind of follow the same thing because they're they're both uh, pretty young when they kind of meet and then they kind of grow older together, kind of like they do in the other, The Lion King and all sorts of other Disney films. Yeah, they take the they use the the formula that works. The next film on the list is. I don't think I've ever seen this one. This is Alan Alda and Carol Burnett in The Four Seasons. It is one of my favorites. Ooh, is it? <laughs> it is. Um, Bess Armstrong is in it. Rita Marino. Um, yeah, so Four Seasons. So uh, the movie's split into four parts, uh, each a different season. And it's these probably 30-something uh, friends that get to, they take a vacation every season together. And it's kind of following them through each of these uh, pieces. And so one of my goals is to take a Four Seasons vacation to go to each of these spots where they spent their vacation. Oh, that's a great, great goal to put out there. Where do they go? What are the, what are the spots? Um, I can't remember. The, so I remember the, it starts in winter and you can actually stay at this lodge. And I can't remember where it is. I think it's in Virginia or somewhere. Um, so I think uh, I'm going to mess this up. So I think... One's in the Bahamas, and I know my sister, I think she was there, and I think she said she drove right by the kind of the cove that they were on a boat, and she recognized it. Uh, oh, cool. So the fall, they go visit their kids at college, and that's actually the uh, uh, the college down in uh, Georgia where they shot Scream 2. Oh, nice. And uh, and now I should just know this. I'm kind of missing this season. but um, Is your sister Bess Armstrong? What? Yeah, we are sister- Bess Armstrong. We are best Armstrong fans for sure. She's in Jaws 3D. Of course. Classic. The shark is in the park. <laughs> the shark is in the park. <laughs> we um, get delighted every time Best Armstrong shows up on a. a oh, she, it's the best line in the whole film. Yeah. <laughs> is your sister, does she have a website called The Sister Jetter where she does she, like. She probably should. So she loves, we love some of the same films. And I saw this in the theater as well. So I. Saw many, many movies as a child. This is a, no, I think that's great. Yeah. You saw them upon the first you know, release. Yeah, yeah. And same things. I, I know I talked about this last time that you know we would go to these movies and The Four Seasons is not a 11-year-old. You know, I think 11-year-olds would love this, but we still went and I enjoyed it. And it's a funny movie. And Carol Burnett, Alan Alda, you can't go wrong with her. You humor. can't go wrong with those two. I'm going to have to put this on my list of homeworks, The yeah. Four Seasons. I was super upset that uh, a few years ago they had an anniversary. I didn't know this until after an anniversary screening. And uh, Bess Armstrong was there, Kel Burnett, Alan Alda. I'm not sure if Rita was, but yeah, they all came to the And it was like, oh, that is like, it was my dream screening. To see that you saw this at Sundance? No, they, they had an anniversary screening like 30, 40 years, 30 years later, 35 years later. I didn't oh, get to go. That's so cool. I just saw pictures after. I'm like, I am so jealous. So. Yeah, how could you not? That's cool. Uh, next one on the list, do they still hold up, Robert? Is Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams. I don't, I don't think it held up at the time. <laughs> I don't think any of them did. I'm not a big Cheech and Chong guy. I can tell you that Up in Smoke is considered a classic, and there is yeah. humor there that obviously holds up, but I, I don't think that Nice Dreams is... Is very a very good film. 
Yeah. And you have to, to imagine build. this is in the top 10 of that, like, <laughs> how much money it made. Wasn't that because uh, the first one was so big that this was, people just saw it for that? I don't it think people was... were watching this more than once in the theaters. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, that's why how a lot of these movies made, because, like, I, people would go over and over again uh, to um, these movies because, you know, it wasn't quite, video wasn't quite there yet. Uh, cape, you had to wait for cable and might be kind of a, a year and a half or um, two years later when it would finally show up on cable. True. Yeah, it would be a, it would be a long time. And you wouldn't get the whole, you know, you wouldn't get like curse words or things like that. They yeah. would cut it down. Which is so, not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number nine on the list, or I guess, yeah, nine on the list is Tarzan of the Ape Man. It's just Tarzan. <laughs> oh, Tarzan the Ape Man. Yeah. One of I the worst. <laughs> one of the worst ideas, in my opinion, to take a, a book, Edgar Rice Burroughs. By the way, I live in Tarzan. It was named after him. Yeah. Like the post office here, it's all Tarzan stuff. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like memorabilia and like old posters from the twenties. Uh, like it's cool. It's it's like a little museum they have of of Edgar Rice Burroughs because his ranch you can visit. Um, but Tarzan, I feel like, is one of those things that never reached super popular levels, uh, and they just keep making this story over and over again. Like they just did it like two years ago. And this was the Bo Derek one, if I remember, uh, in particular. So it was more about Bo Derek than uh, yes, actually Tarzan, but. I only saw this on TV once, uh, so I'm not a good judge of character to say, does it still hold up? But <laughs> I don't think it holds up. Yeah. Tarzan's not even on the poster. Yeah, why did they do that? It, it, people were just going to see nude Bo Derek, and that was, that, this was the whole point of the film. Because this was a remake. Yeah, I think it was I a mean, remake, obviously, but... Yeah. Why? They, they followed the same essential story, but yeah, there, there wasn't too much to it. Richard Harris was in it, though. Was he? Oh, yeah. Why Bo Derek, though? Why? She, she had just done, like, was it 10 with um, Dudley Moore? And uh, she, I think she had the, the Playboy layouts and stuff like that. So That's why. Like her husband kind of did these films um, for her to make her. She was the, the vehicle to, that brought, obviously, it brought the money in. Yeah, it was. It's number uh, number nine here. Yeah. Um, other mentions uh, of in the top thirty, do they still hold up? Um, there's Excalibur, and that never held up for me either. Uh, I know they. No. That shows up in the mark as the mark at uh, in Joker. Was it Joker last year or the year before? So that's what the um, the uh, Bruce Wayne and his parents are leaving Excalibur. Uh, that's the movie they saw for some reason. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, that was up. What was on the marquee? So, Excalibur was an epic, right? Uh, it was kind of like a fantasy. I think John Borman, I think, directed it. So it was kind of one of those slow. Those those films just never quite worked for me. But uh... who was in this that I'm thinking of? There was somebody really famous in it. Um, that I can't tell you right off the top of my head. Liam Neeson was in it. Patrick Stewart was in it. Helen Mirren. Oh, wow. For some reason, I thought Sean Connery was in this, but he wasn't. No. Uh, 
might have to rewatch this or not. If you don't think it holds up, Robert, I'm never going to watch it. it. To me, it's kind of a go to sleep movie. Got it. It's a Darby O'Gill, if you will. Yes. <laughs> I, I stayed up for Darby O'Gill, though. Uh, we just spoke of this Time Bandits. They just watched this in uh, The Stand. This was one yeah. of the highest grossing films of 81. Yeah. I think it was in the top 25 or so. So um, I saw I think I saw this a couple times. Sean Connery's in it uh, in a small part. You you saw this a few times in the theater? Yeah. It, it was kind of a fun movie. Well, you're a super fan. I don't know. Yeah, I was a super fan, but uh, it had some some fun elements uh, that, that I liked. But this would make a good TV series for sure. I don't know if they ever thought about doing that or who has the rights. John Cleese was in it as well. Yes. Shelley Duvall. This is a fantasy kind of movie? It's kind of fantasy, and uh, they have different... And so a lot of the actors will be playing different parts in different time periods that they... You know, so um, so Shelley Duvall would be in, in multiple scenes of different characters depending on what time they would be transporting to. Oh, that's pretty... That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've not seen it in a while, but I thought it was kind of fun. I'm going to put money on the fact that it probably holds up, Robert. I would... I'll, I'll give it a rewatch sometime. The Great Muppet Caper. Yes. Great Muppet Caper. That movie holds up. All the Muppet movies are great. They. Th- this is my favorite of the Muppet movies. Is it? Do you like yes. the caper the best? And I was so upset. So I, we talked before that I wasn't able to go to London a couple years ago because I had an emergency uh, gallbladder surgery. Um, yeah. But I had all the Muppet, Great Muppet uh Caper locations plotted out to to go visit the Happiness oh. Hotel and and all the spots. So one day, one day I'll get back. Yeah, there. one day you'll get there. It's like you said on a previous show. Don't ever say I'll get get to do it someday. Just do it. And I, I feel like you'll you'll take advantage of that. Diana Rigg, Charles Grodin. Yeah, a good human cast. I love Charles Grodin too. He's great in everything. He's a good actor. He uh, he he's very likable in this too. Um. Yeah, I think this this and Muppets Take Manhattan are like my two favorite. They're just fun. All those movies are great. Yeah. You just can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Clash of the Titans. Uh I I just watched this recently actually. The it does hold up as far as it's a fun ride. Uh, <laughs> the effects are really bad. They're they're terrible. So it doesn't hold up if you're going to if if you're going to if you're going to look at it from that way. It's a lot of stop motion animation going on. Yeah, the stop motion, I kind of like, oh, I'll kind of deal with that. Um, but I remember, I think it was like Maggie Smith, you know, like it'd be a statue and then she'd be talking, but her her head doesn't quite <laughs> stay still. Athena, yeah, what are you doing? She just uh, looks. But it has shirtless Harry Hamlin, who's dreamy. I call it the sexy Clash of the Titans. Yeah. He And he still looks great. I mean, him and Lisa both, they can... They tear it up. What's the Al's name? And the, the remake. The, he, he still could have done it. He should have done something in there. Yeah. What is the Al's name in there? The, the Silver Al. I don't know. I remember Old Al. The um, I remember it has a little blip across in the remake because they hated it, or they 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 just thought yeah. it was stupid or whatever, and they kind of I think they throw it or something, and and right. the remake, which is it's just that's just not nice to fans. Fans liked it. Yeah, everybody loved the Al. That was like what anybody talks about. It's Medusa and the yeah. Owl. The that remake, was, though, that Medusa scene was legit. That yeah, got Medusa you. was scary, and that was like mostly stop motion, but it worked and it was freaky. And the eye, the the, the, oh. the three witches with sharing the eye, so scary. 
the Medusa scene was extra creepy too because you they foreshadowed like all the past people that turned to stone in there, mm-hmm. and she's she's a snake and she's kind of like slithering and that scene still still holds up. It's still yeah. good, you know. Holds like up much that. better than the remake did. Oh yeah, that was forgettable. Who was the um, who was Medusa in the remake? Uh, I don't know if it was it actually a person or was it a, all CGI. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Nope. You most people don't. Yeah, it's non-memorable. I don't know the next one on our list, Robert. I don't know if you've you've ever seen this one. It's Halloween Two. It sounds a little familiar <laughs> to me. <laughs> we all know it holds up. Yeah, Halloween Two is actually my favorite one of them all. Why is that? Uh, it was the first one I really saw. I, my parents let me watch it. I think it was Halloween. They were showing it, and I was I was young. I think I might have been like seven or eight. And my mom's like, I was like, can I watch this? She's like, yeah, we'll watch it with you. And I was really into it. And I was like, oh, this is so like cool. And uh, I like that it takes place the same night. Like it's a direct yeah. sequel in the sense that I like movies that do that. They pick up like right when they leave off. So there's the continuity is there. They don't give a time lapse to make up for like new casting. They, it's just, it's cool. It works. Well, did have to have the time lapse for new hair. But uh, <laughs> yeah, what was up with the hair? Well, and, and you know, I I was probably way too old when I figured out it was actually a wig, you know, because it was just like this oh, bad, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because her she didn't change that much, but you could always Jamie Lee already kind of her face changed a little bit, like she was no longer a teenager. Um, so, yeah. um, so somebody and somewhere I have it written down, uh, because I think. I never quite got, you know, Laurie Strode's, you know, obviously a major character in in the sequel, but she's not really, and somebody counted up, I think she has, she says 100, I think it's, it's somewhere like 100 words That's that it? she says in the entire film, that uh, oh. she, she really does not say much, and most of those words are, help me, help me, um, please yeah. don't put me to sleep, is repeated like three times. Um, I'll send it to you, but it's funny because we realize I'm like, oh, she, there is no character development at all. <laughs> That's so true, though. The yeah. first one, it's all her and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Sequel, she's kind of in like the hospital room a lot or trying to get away. Yeah, she's she's sleeping uh, a lot, and um, yeah, there's just there's not too much to it. But Halloween uh, Two still holds up. Uh, that might be more for nostalgia uh, reasons more than anything, but. But Maybe, yeah. D- Dean Cundy came back as cinematographer uh, from the first one, so I think that helps to have that bridge. Definitely, yeah. And I, and also, too, um, the one location in a hospital I felt was cool. They didn't just do a sloppy sequel where they're like, well, let's just film it in the same house and somebody mm-hmm. else is there or something like that. They, they did it in the same town on the same night at another location, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I like the idea of it. Um, yeah. Uh, but the first one will still be the number one for me. But I yeah. do remember uh, seeing a clip of it on uh, Siskel and Ebert. And uh, it was the scene where she's running uh, or she's trying to get their attention and slamming on the hospital doors like uh, to, to be let her in. And right before Michael gets there, they, they cut off the clip. And I'm like, and for an 11-year-old, I'm like, what happens? Yeah, what happens? Is she? This is gonna kill her. They cut it right 
before yeah and they went back to you know like to the to the movie review um but i just remember as a kid i was like one it terrified me um yeah but yeah yeah it probably it, it still holds up for me too for nostalgia reasons but they're always a fun ride they really are those are great films uh escape from new york what's your policy on this one robert uh, that one holds up for me. It could be. Um, I didn't see this in the theater, um, and I didn't. I don't think I saw it until I kind of became more of a John Carpenter fan. Um, but um, I like. I like the soundtrack. Uh, I kind of like the concept. Um, and and to me, that still it still works. Kurt Russell, Adrian Barbeau, Donald Pleasance. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. I I love Escape from New York. I even like Escape from L.A., which is a a Oof. terrible movie, Oof. but. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a rough one. But Escape from New York, though the uh, dystopian, you know, uh, future government, totalitarian government, throwing Kurt Russell in the middle of New York City has to stay alive, and the gangs are like the warlords of the. It, it, it just it works, and the music's so good too. It's like the do 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 It's like the, it's typical eighties, like trying to be cool with a drum track kind of thing, and uh, it's a fun it's a fun ride to go on. I like it. Escape from LA is terrible though. When he he surfs in on the tsunami, there's a a lot of bad effects in it, and they didn't really take advantage of LA because they they didn't shoot actually too much in LA. I mean LA proper. It was all kind of matte paintings and special effects and yeah, it's supposed to be like Disneyland. Yeah, it's bad. Just did not work for me. I didn't like Escape from LA. Uh, Well, the the plot line is ridiculous that the president. Or the president's daughter is ever going to be kidnapped? Like they haven't mastered security in the future. Uh, that just would never happen. So I felt like that was always kind of something that hurt the films. Yeah. Like, come on, the president got kidnapped. What's he doing in a prison? Like, really? <laughs> you haven't. We haven't gotten this right yet. Uh, she she kind of looks like uh, Ivanka a little bit now that I think about it. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. They knew that was. They knew Trump was going to get elected twenty-five yeah. years later. I'm trying to remember when that one's supposed what? to take place. I think, I think it was ninety. Uh, I think this one was supposed to. The first one was to take place in nineteen ninety seven. That's right. And then the new one, this the LA one. I'm, I'm not sure when. Yeah, probably early two thousands or something. But yeah, um, graduation day. This is a slasher film, Robert. I don't think I've seen this gem. It's. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see how high this was. I mean, to think about how this. I'm sure it was an under million dollar budget. Uh, end up being like a, in the top 25 or so of the entire year. And just to go show you how well horror films were doing uh, and people um, would yeah. come to them. So uh, this one is mostly known for, I think, Linnea Quigley's in it. And uh, uh, Vanna White, I think, has a small role, if I remember right. Yes, it looks like she did. She played yeah. Doris in this, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I went to the locations for this. I don't know if I published them yet, so... Um, uh, oh. to the high school and they shot some in Burbank um, and some in Larchmont, uh, Larchmont Street uh, in, in West Hollywood but uh, I'll, I'll have to publish those I think Oh this, that's cool This will be the 40th anniversary this year so I'll have to find that anniversary date and, and post those but the, the director I met uh, he was at Dark Delicacies a couple years ago and had him sign it and oh, there's several houses I'm missing uh, that I cannot find, and I asked him, and they had no idea that it's been so long. Dark Delicacies in Burbank. Mm-hmm. That's a cool place. I've been there before. It is. I haven't mentioned their new location. 
because uh, they had to kind of move down the street because uh, of their lease. But yeah, no, I haven't either. Um, a buddy of mine who he's like a horror, a B movie horror producer, had me there for some kind of signing for like a movie or something they were doing. Uh, but it was like a poster signing for some of the stars. And I remember I, I would just like, um, whenever I talked to him before, I'd be like, Dark Delicacies. And he's like, yep, that's the name of it. I'd be like, it's called Dark Delicacies. That's the greatest name ever. So to this day, his name is Rich Turk. If I see him, I'll go, Dark Delicacies. And he's like, yep, Dark Delicacies. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest name ever. <laughs> Because uh, Burbank, it was like, you look on the map, it's just like, you know, Provost Turkey Sandwiches, uh, Goodwill, Dark Delicacies, <laughs> you know, La Frenza Bistro, Dark Delicacies. It just stands out like a sore thumb, and it's great. And it's a cool store, too. They have yeah. like, the guy that owns it really cares. Yeah, and hopefully they are surviving uh, this pandemic, too. I hope so. Uh, the last one on the list, Robert, for Do They Still Hold Up? is Friday the 13th, part two. Two. Um, so this was, this is, to me, it was a stronger film than the original. Um, and, and it could have been, it was just a little bit, um, maybe a little bit more budget, and they kind of kind of put it together uh, a little better. But I think Amy Steele is a lot of people's favorite final girl. I agree. Yeah, she's, she's up there, my, some of my top ones. Top three. This is she our first it. Jason movie. Yep, first Jason movie. They, I felt like they learned a lot from the first one of like the pacing and not dragging stuff on so much. Uh, I think the pacing is really good in this movie. They they move around organically to where it it works and it fits. Where the first one, there were scenes like the chase scene that were like a little, they were maybe like ten minutes too long. Um, good cast. Um, yeah, yeah, this one kind of worked, and then it. Now you look back, and it's obviously very cliched. Um, yeah. But, and and there's still, I guess, some plot holes. And they uh, they do my favorite sequel thing is when they bring back somebody from the original, and of course Alice gets killed off, uh, kind of somewhat mysteriously. It's a, it's a spider. <laughs> we you know you we assume it's Jason coming up, um, and because you also kind of see her her corpse at the end and in front of Mother's altar, but I don't know. It has my favorite cop in the series because talked about that. Yeah, he they, he basically it was a guy that was wearing blue jeans and a green shirt, and they go, "What are you doing?" He's like, um, "Dropping off some plumbing supplies next door." Can you put this badge on and this loosely fitted belt with a gun that just kind of hangs and play a cop? Yeah, I I have like an extra half hour. Not going to take that long. Can you do it? <laughs> yeah, get on the set. It was the worst cop uniform in the world. It was it was like that movie we saw that you shot with the guy, um, and his he was like the security guard, but his lights were yellow in there. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that 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 casting agency. It's those guys. We need a cop car. Got one with yellow lights. Not a police that'll, car. That'll work. Oh, silent. But yeah, it has yet. the best cop because he just gets out and chases this kid. Like why? It was Jason in the scene running across the road. Yeah. Why get out and chase him? Is running a crime? I would apparently they're strict in Crystal Lake about these kids uh, crossing the street, jaywalking uh, for no good reason. Is that what it was? They shouldn't I, be trespassing. He was going to get them. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and th- those are the things like you never think you watch the movie and you don't think twice about those kind of uh, <laughs> why did he get out? Why did he get out? As we're adults, and the more you kind of rewatch these things, you're like, why did he do that? But I always thought I was. I thought one he they don't look quite the same, but I thought one he was kind of like the Mister Garrett character, and they get killed exactly the same way with the, the yeah. head. Yeah, same good year. call. Yeah. It makes sense. I just think that, and, and the police car said state police, and I was like, that is not the state. State police are official. <laughs> you, you, that's not the New Jersey state police. <laughs> I can promise you that. That was a leftover car. It's it's not even a. It doesn't even hurt the movie. It's just to me that's always been funny. No. Even as I was a kid, I was like, cops don't dress like that. <laughs> you knew. Like, we all kind of knew, but I, I love I, it though. I think it's great. I always watch it every year. Maybe he wasn't a cop. Maybe he was actually a killer as well. And he Could would dress be. up as a cop, and that's how he would... That's how he did it. Yeah. I, it's, it's a good one, though. It's one, of, it's one of the better ones, I feel. Three is still my favorite. That came out in 83? Yep. Uh, August 13th, 1983. Did you see three in the movie theater? No, uh, I didn't see any of them until part four. I was 14, and I was still scared to death. Part four was the first one you I, saw? Final, yeah, part four of the final chapter was the first. I think it was the first Friday the 13th I've ever saw, plus the first one I actually uh, saw in the theater as well. So oh, I, wow. I knew That's the, the best the lore one. of Jason, the, you know, the uh, bits and pieces of what Jason was about. So it was actually good because they had that uh, part four starts with that kind of flashback of all the scenes. and Yeah. Uh, for being 14, I probably not should have been as terrified as I was. <laughs> no, but it, it that is scary. That's the best one, too. Just to, to be able to see that for the first entry in the theater is a pretty cool thing. I, uh, I, I might have said this before, but so I just I was scared enough after the kind of opening uh, flashback scene and uh, they're, they're going to the credits and the credits flash at different parts of the screen. And yeah. I, I think I was watching like this. You were really scared. See, the credits that would show up at the bottom. And I just, I remember seeing uh, uh, Camila and Carrie Moore as Tina and Terry. And I remember some other, I'm like, so I only saw the credits the, at the bottom of the scene, but it was uh, quite the experience. And the audience, it was just, it was a packed theater uh, on a Sunday, no less. And, uh, and everybody was just having a great time. And it was just, you know, people were at the gore and the jumps and, uh, it, but yeah, it's, it's probably the kind of the perfect Friday the 13th. I, I think so. Did it exceed your expectations of what you thought going in there? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, I was like, well, no, what? And I think that's what kind of turned me on to, one, kind of turned me on to horror movies, but it just turned me on to the power of movies, uh, that sound and lights on the images affected me so much that that was, I, that was the perfect uh, example of the power of film, for better or for worse. But Yeah. Four is probably the arguably the best the the one that's the best um, entry out of all of them. It's so well done. Yeah, it has uh, uh, just a cool ending. You've seen both endings too, I'd imagine. Yes. Yeah. The uh, with yeah the this one obviously kind of works better. Um, and when we, when we when we do talk about part three, I want to get my hands on the original part three script because uh, Amy Steele says she has it somewhere, um, but it's a script that follows the Jenny character in the hospital. Um, oh. Which they kind of retooled a little bit for Friday Thirteenth Part Five, but that was that the whole she was just supposed to be the star of Friday Thirteenth Part Three, 
and uh, and Paul gets killed in the beginning. Um, I think she's at she's at college or something like that. Um, so um, and I think when I read somewhere at one point she says, "Yeah, I have the script somewhere." And I'm like, that is a gold mine of the Lost Friday the Thirteenth that I would love to read. That is a gold mine. Did they change the script up for budgetary reasons? She, she just she didn't want to do the next one, and so because of that, they said, "All right, we just will do another sequel without you." And so that's why um, it happened the way it happened. But you oh, you also wow. imagine if they did get her back, um, we might not have the hockey mask. We might not have you know, it might not be Ooh. what it is today. Yeah, because three was the first entry of the hockey mask, and if they kept tooling around with that same storyline, he might, might not another. Yeah, it could have been somebody like one of the writers that was like, "Well, we need something different. Let's give him a hockey mask." Okay. Um. So yeah. So who who knows what would have happened if we kind of went down uh, that route, or that could have been like the last one where like, oh, it didn't do as well, and um, the series kind of kind of fizzled out. But but part three, I did. Uh, it did so well because of the 3D, and it kind of uh, launched the next year, became 1983D, Jaws 3D, um, like we talked yeah. about, Amityville 3D. Um, so it kind of launched that craze of, of 3D films the following year. I would like to see it in 3D, see what that, see how it looks. I watched a little bit of it. I, I set up my 3D TV downstairs just after the box set came out, um, and it was okay. I don't know what quite was it. It I was just, okay. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to be wowed. Of course, it's not like uh, the the new century's version of 3D, um, but no. it's a little different. What when like was it the scenes where like one of the bikers gets pitchfork kind of thing? Is that stuff in 3D? Yeah, because there's so, like some yeah. weird close ups there where like they show like blood a drop, and I'm like that had to be like 3D. Keep put, pushing stuff in front of the camera, and the wires are always showing, and and it never rains. <laughs> Part three, either, and so that was like, and like, if you, you don't have rain. It's it's not Friday the Thirteenth, but it doesn't rain in three. No, they couldn't do rain and three D, so that was why that it, was it's why. got it got really windy. It got like Mother Abigail windy outside. <laughs> is is three the only entry where it doesn't rain? Oh, I'm sure there's others. I don't remember. No, six it rains. Yeah, six it rains in the beginning. Seven. I don't know if it rains in seven. Not sure. I don't think it does. I think it's just damp out, and there's lots of big puddles. Isn't it rainy when she she goes after the psychiatrist in the forest? No, it's no, not. No, technically it's raining in the uh, the prologue, but that shot is more or less taken from a part six promo, it's where it's raining and they're flashing back to other um, You're right. scenes, but I don't know if I'd count that as rain. I know you did rains. a great job on three with your entry of that um, Friday the Thirteenth. I've looked at that a bunch of times. You really got up there in the canyons and stuff. Um, so yeah, so the barn scenes are from my friend Paul's website, and then Vera's house, uh, which actually I found out just recently that so the house I kind of showed where it was and and across the street. So the house actually still exists, but they moved it somewhere. So my oh, next yeah, trip, I need to you go. that. Yeah, check that out. You never see the front of the house. You just kind of see. The porch, right, and Vera, uh, Hispanic Vera, even though she doesn't quite look or act uh, like her, she's supposed to in the character. But I yeah. think they were trying to be diverse, and it, they just didn't quite work out. But yeah, they were trying to kind of branch out a little bit, but not so much. But yeah, I really do like those entries though for the third one because they like the scene with the general store that you got. That's a tough one to find because it's not even there anymore. 
Yes, yeah, somebody. I think somebody clued. But they thought it was there or something, and but they were also they weren't in the. I don't think it was. I don't think they were around or they couldn't visit. So I'm like, well, I'll go check it out and go see because people had kind of been looking for it uh, forever. And I'm like, well, let me see. And I and the Google Maps doesn't kind of go down that kind of driveway. So right, once you, you go have down to go the up top. Yeah, once you go drive the driveway, like, oh yeah, this is it. The, the trees are still there, and then. There's a little bit of stones uh, from that stone fence that uh, were st was still there, but but that's about it. What 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 was that location in real life? Was that a store? Um, it was. I think it was, and because it it was. It's a weird place for a store. It was used in a couple of other films, uh, like it was used in Terminator One, but the scene was deleted. Oh. Um, uh, but it shows up as deleted scenes where they kind of stop. Uh, Michael Biehn and, and Linda Hamilton stopped there. And I think it was some other film that showed up as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was a good, great job. But yeah, you can see when you're up on the one road that you said Google Maps is a go down. You look down, you're like, oh, no, that's it, because the line, the tree line is still there. Uh, what is the, on the next episode, are we going to do, uh, we're still going to decide what we do, or the process here at Set Jetter Saturdays is very organic, but I do feel like we should dive in, keep doing the, um, do they still hold up? Uh, yeah, down down to the rest of the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious to kind of revisit these eighties films because I grew up in that. That was my decade, and so some might yeah. still work for me that won't work for others that were not in that decade. Where you kind of look back and like, what what is that about? But wait, like which ones? Um, I, I I'm just curious because what we'll kind of talk oh, about yeah. like what worked for you but did not, or what worked for me but didn't work for you. Um, but to me, I think a lot of the '80s were just kind of it was a little bit of a golden age of uh, Spielberg and and Lucas and the new Hollywood. Those type of films where they could almost do no wrong for for quite a while. Yeah, they could kind of slap anything on and have their name behind it, and it worked. Even producing it, you know. Oh yeah. If, if Spielberg didn't have his name behind Goonies, that probably wouldn't have. That would have just been another movie. Yeah. It. It would be curious to, yeah, so we'll see as we kind of go through these 80s, and, and I think near the end of that era, they kind of stretched a little too thin, or they maybe lost a little bit of that magic that, uh, for the early 80s, for sure, uh, the Spielberg touch definitely was there. Good point. I, yeah, I'd be interested to look down that road, because towards the end, it started to tweak a little bit and kind of fizzle out. It needed something fresh. Yeah. And that's when we got Jurassic Park, and... Aladdin and all those like <laughs> '90s movies that put him to shame. Yeah, I, I looked ahead a little some '90s movies and I'm like, oh, and I think that's where big box office movies just did less for me. But the '90s were the the emergence of independent films, and I think the, those movies end up doing more for me uh, at that age. Yeah, good call. Yeah, the lesser known some of the independent independent films hold up better than. I just want to take his face. Off. Okay, he said the name of the title in the movie. It's I'm sold. Seems, yeah. It Welcome was... to Con Air. Okay, can't wait. It's where movies were created by the tagline made the movie. You know, you had a title and a tagline, and is that the plot? Yeah, we'll figure something out. <laughs> I love it. Uh, keep, I'll keep you safe, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That that that's a let's write that down. Let's use that one. They did. They do that in every movie, though. It's great. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Face so off we'll, is still the we'll worst, do though. Eighty-two, and see how. Uh, of course, that was the year of ET, 
Um, so everything else kind of, I think, not failed the comparison, but you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't beat E.T. You couldn't touch E.T. It was the biggest selling movie of all time until Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Massive. Still, still, still a good movie. Um, it is. It's just, yeah, it's, it's magical. You, you mentioned before the post 9-11 edits. That, yes. Are you talking about when Spielberg had the guns digitally removed? Yeah, he had a couple of things. He, he, the, the guns became walkie-talkies. Right. And so there's always some weird uh, FBI pointy walkie-talkies at people. Yeah, there's no reason all of the cops lying in the road will all have a walkie-talkie in their hand. Yeah. Because, you know, that just wouldn't happen. It's just... Um, yeah, I think I and I actually I took a couple of college pictures uh, where I was smoking and and I actually put a walkie-talkie instead as my <laughs> kind of uh, retcon of like like oh I, no I was just talking on a walkie-talkie back in college I wasn't smoking yeah yeah you're just <laughs> communicating and there she she's uh, off screen uh, ma, the mother says uh, about the older brother saying no you you look like a terrorist and they cut that out because. Apparently, right after 9-11, we couldn't say the word terrorist without kind of triggering. Uh, oh, what did things. she say instead? I think they just cut out the line, or I'm not sure if they, what they oh, said. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that. They probably put something equally offensive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you look like, you look like a Muslim. Instead, but, um, and then, oh, yeah, and we, and we can talk about it more next week, because then. Yeah, remember, I'd be curious to hear the changes of what they did. I watched it not too long ago, and I was still surprised. And it was still kind of cool that in the opening scene where they're in um, the kitchen, the fighting, they're still kind of using like language and smoking, and it's like, the mom's letting you get away with that? It's kind of a cool house, I guess. Like, what they're saying, I would never be allowed to say in front of my parents is at, at eight years old. Well, and so, so the funny thing is, like, in that era, we... It's rated PG. It was, you know, kind of pre... Uh, we're... Not, not that we weren't aware of what was kind of going on, but kids were allowed, you know, you would just play all day. You know, come back before dark. That was the golden rule. And yeah. nobody knew where you were or what you were doing or, you know, <laughs> what you were possibly learning or whatever. Um, but then uh, mid-80s, uh, that's kind of when things changed where, you know, like, uh, you know, the uh, paper boys getting kidnapped and whatever. And all of a sudden, like, we had to hone all of our kids in and, you uh, I, th I think that that was kind of the change, and that's where, like, now you look back at Goonies, I'm like, where are these parents? You know, what? <laughs> I was just thinking of that when you said that. I was like, yeah, Goonies is like that. Where where are they for, like, two days where like, this <laughs> exactly. is happening? In super dangerous situations, and, uh, yeah. Where are these parents? I remember as a kid going out in the neighborhood, and when the street lights came on and it got dark, dark, you would come home and it was never an issue. And then that just kind of changed one day. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't do that. No. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that's a good conversation to have about the ET uh, changes in the other films next week. Um, I think this is a, a solid show. If you want to wrap today up, sir. Yeah. Always good to talk to you. Always good to rehearse with you. Cause that's what yes, this hour was. Right. Are we ready now? Five, four. <laughs> Always great to talk with you. Set Jetter Saturdays, Robert Patterson. Please check out set-jetter.com and join us next week for another exciting episode of a stand review, some movies if they still hold up discussions, and much more. I'm Matthew Clark, podcast with Robert Patterson, Set Jetter Saturday. Good night, everybody. <laughs>